Lord, I thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself. You want us to know you and you know us. And so I thank you that you've revealed yourself to us through your word, through scripture, through the Bible. And I pray as we read it this morning, we would hear from you. We would be challenged. But more than anything, Lord, this morning, I pray we would be deeply encouraged today. Lord, we, there's, so often we can feel discouraged. I pray this morning we would be really encouraged um, by what we read and what we hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so if you've got a Bible, turn to the book of Genesis, which is the very first book of the Bible, and turn to Genesis chapter 29. As I mentioned at the beginning, our guest preacher couldn't be with us this morning, but this is, uh, this might sound odd when we read the passage, but this is a passage that I have wanted to preach at this church for well, pretty much since we started, um, and the time's never quite been right, but I'm, I... This passage, again, as I read it, it's going to sound like a really weird passage to be excited about, but I'm so excited about this scripture that we're going to read this morning. So I'm going to read Genesis chapter 29, and I'm going to read from verse 31, and then I'm going to read um, all the way through to Genesis 30, verses 24. So Genesis 29, 31 through to 30, 24, and um, as you can see, it's going to appear on the screen behind me. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son and called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister Leah. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah, go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife and Jacob went into her and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Jacob said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come, so she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy, so she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah said to Rachel, 
Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's, my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, uh, come in to me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with good endowment. Now my husband will honour me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Why, oh why, have I chosen to preach on that passage this morning? Well, you will find out in a bit. Firstly, I want us to feel that story on a personal level. I don't know how much you know about the book of Genesis, but this is obviously a story about two women, Leah and Rachel, in a painful sad, difficult circumstance. If you know the story from Genesis, you'll know that Jacob fell in love with Rachel. And so Jacob said to Rachel's father, Laban, what can I do? How, how, give me Rachel's hand in marriage. And Laban said, if you work for me seven years, I will give you Rachel's hand in marriage. But when the time came and Jacob had worked for seven years to earn Rachel's hand in marriage, um, the, the wife, the, the bride was veiled and walked up the aisle and they got married and, and they slept together and it turned out that Laban had tricked Jacob and that Jacob had actually married Jacob's elder sister, Leah. And, and Jacob's like, I loved Rachel. Rachel was the one for me. What have you done? And so he said, what can I do to marry Rachel? How can I be married to Rachel? And so Laban who wanted to get labour out of Jacob, said, work for me another seven years. And so Jacob worked another seven years in order to also earn Rachel's hand in marriage. And so you have this messy situation where Laban has exploited his daughters and he's created this horrible, messy family situation where Jacob loves Rachel. He, he, he always wanted to be married to Rachel. He loves Rachel, but he's also married to Leah, and so Leah is stuck in a loveless marriage. And so I want us to think firstly about the pain and sorrow of Leah in this passage that we've just read. You see, the passage begins in that I read in 29.31, which begins and it says this, The Lord saw that Leah was hated. Jacob's affection towards Rachel was so great. He loved Rachel. In fact, he loved Rachel so much that in terms of his regard for Leah, it was as though Leah was hated by her husband. She was unfavoured. And so the Bible calls her hated. Imagine the pain and sorrow of being in that situation, being married to someone and feeling hated by your spouse. 
unfortunately, I, I think there are probably many married women who, who, who feel this, this kind of feeling. I hope they aren't members of this church because the husbands in this church are good husbands who make sure that their wives know that they are loved. And so that's one challenge, husbands, that we can take from this passage. Make sure your wife knows she is loved. May your wife never say she is hated. May God never see that your wife is hated. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jacob and Leah are sleeping together in this story and yet Leah is still described as hated. So sex isn't enough in this relationship to, to portray. It, it's, not, it's not sex in love. It, it's sex out of using Leah. And so, husbands, you, you, we've got to be active in showing love in lots of ways, not just through sex, but through lots of ways, showing love to our wives. Of course, Leah's feeling this pain, and she knows what it's like to feel unloved. Maybe she feels unlovable even. No one could possibly love me. Not even my husband Jacob loves me. We're not meant to read this and be unmoved by what's happening in Genesis 29. And if you're in a similar place this morning, if you empathise with Leah, I cannot say anything that's going to take away your pain. Your pain is real and genuine. Your sorrow is is real and genuine, and there's nothing I can say to take that sorrow away. But there is some comfort in this passage that we read in chapter 29. So have a a look at chapter 29, because Leah, in her sorrow, in her pain, in this unloved, in in being unloved, Leah still takes comfort from her relationship with God. So in verse 31, it says that the Lord sees and acts in Leah's Leah's life. God sees that Leah is hated, and so gives her children. And we know that our God is one who sees our affliction, and our struggles, and our pain. In verse 32, Reuben is called Reuben because the Lord has looked upon her affliction and given her a son. Ben in Hebrew means son, and Ru is similar to the word to look. And so the name Reuben is a, is a declaration that God has looked upon Leah's sorrow and pain and sadness and given her a son. And then in verse 33, we, we, we find out that God doesn't just look upon our affliction. He also hears our cries for help. And, diff- and as we pray to God and say, I'm, I'm hated in this relationship, or Leah said that in her prayers, the Lord hears and acts. And so Simeon is called Simeon because that's similar to to the word for hearing. And so, if you're feeling unloved today, I I can't take away that pain, but I can tell you that God sees what you're going through, and God hears when you cry out to him in affliction. He knows, he knows what you're going through, and he cares for you. Whatever sorrows and pains you're experiencing this morning, and they might be very, very different from Leah's sorrows and pains, know that the Lord hears and the Lord sees what you're going through. Whether you're feeling lonely during this time of COVID, if maybe you're feeling anxious, maybe you've lost loved ones, maybe you have your own health concerns, or maybe, like Leah, you're feeling unloved, God sees what you're going through, and he hears your cries out to him. So God acts lovingly towards Leah in this passage. He sees her sorrow. He looks upon her affliction and he acts. But Jacob 
her husband doesn't respond. The whole time, Leah is hoping. You know, when Reuben's born, Leah says, for now, now my husband will love me, for I've borne him a son, in verse 32. And then when Levi is born, in verse 34, the third son, she says, now, this time, my husband will be attached to me. Leah, Leah is rightly longing for the love of her husband. It's, I don't think there's, we can criticise Leah in this situation. She just wants to be loved by her husband. That's a, that's a right thing to ask for and for, to long for. But each time, she finds that nothing changes. And Jacob still doesn't love her or care for her. His affection is still upon Rachel and not towards Leah. And so there's an important lesson here. Humans will let you down. Humans let you down. They will miss your sorrow and your suffering. They won't see what you're going through. Now we hope as a church that we would be good at seeing and catching all the struggles and and loving people and caring for people in those situations. But the truth is humans are imperfect and make mistakes and we tend to be inward looking and see our own pain and affliction and, and, and often we're bad at seeing what others are going through. But the lesson here of course is that while Jacob fails, God does not fail. He sees what she's going through. And then so when the fourth son is born, Judah is born, and Leah says, this time I will praise the Lord. For the first three sons, she's been been praising God with the names that she's given her children, but she's been looking for a husband's affection. And when Judah is born, she says, this time, this time Jacob probably won't love me because he hasn't loved me for the first three sons, but this time I'm going to praise the Lord. And sometimes that's all you can do when things are going poorly and badly. Sometimes that's all you can do is worship and praise the Lord. So I just want to ask you in this time, what's your worship life looking like right now? You know, we're gathering on a Sunday and we're so blessed that we can do that. And some people are watching and joining with us online and worshipping in that sense. But what's your worship life look like right now? Are you setting aside time when you're at home to worship God, you know, putting on a music CD, praying in worship, reading through scripture and worshipping. Are you you saying, yes, I'm struggling with anxiety. Yes, I'm struggling with loneliness. Yes, there's all sorts of things going on in the world and I don't know what to make of it all. I don't know what God is doing, but I'm going to make sure that I'm putting aside time to worship and praise God because you have so much to praise him for. Even during this situation, he still loves you. He still cares for you. He's seeing your affliction. He's looking looking upon what you're going through. He's hearing you as you cry for help. So what's your worship life look like right now? Are you with Lear saying, this time, right now, I'm going to worship the Lord? So we thought about Lear and her sorrow and her pain in chapter 29. Then at the beginning of chapter 30, the focus switches onto Rachel, doesn't it? And so secondly, I want to talk about the sorrow and the envy of Rachel. Now, presumably Jacob is sleeping with Rachel more than he's sleeping with Leah because Rachel was the wife that he loved. So I'm assuming that they had a good sex life even though he's still sleeping with Leah as well and yet Rachel has not borne any children and that makes her very sad. It makes her. It, it causes her pain. She desperately wants children, but seems to be unable to have them. And again, we know this is a really important issue that 
impacts many married couples today, and it's hard. It's a hard situation. It's actually a major theme of the book of Genesis, actually. It happens to lots of married couples in the book of Genesis. that They, they want children, uh, and yet the, the woman seems to be barren on many occasions. If you turn back to chapter 25, the same issue affected Jacob's mum, who was called Rebecca. And Rebecca was married to Isaac. And it says that Rebecca was barren. And in, verse, uh, in chapter 25, verse 21, it says this. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer. So you have the same issue back in chapter 25, and this wonderful model of how a couple should respond to this this very sad, painful, difficult issue of barrenness. And the answer really is that Rebecca kind of comes to Isaac and says, I really want kids. And, And Isaac says, well, let's pray. Let's pray together. And the husband takes the lead in praying for his wife. I think it's a wonderful moment, and God grants that prayer request. So if you're struggling with this issue, the, the main thing you can do is to pray, to pray, to pray into it. And, and husbands, again, I want to challenge you and say, are you leading in praying into that? Because in Genesis 25, verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, and the Lord granted his prayer. So Rachel and Jacob have a brilliant model for how they should respond in this situation. Rachel should come to Jacob and say, I'm barren and I'm really sad. And Jacob should say, well, let's pray. We're going to pray together. Let's pray. Of course, that's not what happens. Rachel says to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. And Jacob responds in anger towards Rachel. Am I in the place of God? Instead of saying, well, it's God who does that, let's pray. He gets angry and and conflict is caused between Jacob and Rachel. Now, Jacob speaks truthfully in verse 2. It is God who opens and closes the womb. It is God who's sovereign. On, uh, over children being born. You know, I think when we pray to God in, a season, in, this, in this difficult issue of barrenness, when we pray to God, there can be, I think, th- maybe three different answers, actually. The first answer can God be saying, yes, I'm going to open the womb and you're going to give birth. It's an amazing answer to prayer and we praise God and rejoice. But there can be, there can be another answer, which is actually God, who is all-loving, and all-powerful says, I have something better for you. I have a better route for you to go down. And maybe that better route is adoption. And you, you bless children who, um, who are without parents and need adopting. That's kind of the second maybe answer to that prayer, is that, that God is encouraging us to be ad- adopting parents, perhaps. And then there's a, the third option, which is, okay, God hasn't given me children. Therefore, as a married couple, we're just going to devote ourselves to serving and loving the church and bearing children in a spiritual sense um, by leading people in the spiritual truth. And so when we, when we respond like Rebecca and Isaac, great things can come. Amazing to answers to prayer, um, adoption, dedication to the service of God. But what happens in this story in Genesis 30 is conflict between the husband and and the wife. And we need, we need to have sympathy with Rachel in this story. We, we, we need to feel her pain and her sorrow before we then go on to talk about how she does not act rightly in this situation. Instead of prayer, she's full of envy towards her sister. The root of Rachel's envy is this. When, she, when God looks upon Lear... God sees Leah's affliction and pain. 
when Rachel looks upon Lear, Rachel sees all the positive things going on in Lear's life and focuses on what she has and what Rachel does not have. You see, Rachel does not care or does not seem to care in this passage that Lear is completely unloved by her husband. She doesn't care. But instead she goes, Lear's got children and I don't. And so she, she, her envy is rooted in seeing her own lack rather than seeing the affliction and pain in someone else's life. And I think often envy is born from that. We look on social media or we look at other people's lives and instead of seeing the hardship that other people are going through, we see what they have that we don't have and then we become fixated upon that and envy grows in our hearts. What Rachel should have done is rejoice for Lear and sympathise with Lear. Rachel should have come alongside her sister and said, oh, it must be so hard for you. Your husband, Jacob, does not love you, but it's so good that God is giving you children. I just want to rejoice with you. I want to celebrate with you. So I think there's another challenge coming out of this passage here on envy. Maybe God wants to do some heart work in the room this morning on envy. Are you struggling with envy towards others? Or do you rejoice for the blessings that others have? And do you sympathise with the pain that others are going through? Instead, Rachel turns this into a competition. She does something which I think is absolutely crazy in giving Jacob her servant Bilhar to sleep with. And Dan is born. And Rachel says when Dan is born... God has judged me. He has also heard my voice. Do you see the competitiveness in that name? Lear had a child. Now I've had a child as well. God has heard me also. And then verse 8, Naphtali is born. And Rachel says, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and prevailed. I wonder whether they fought as kids and had wrestling matches. I don't know whether girls do that, but um, I wonder whether as kids they had wrestling matches. But Rachel thinks, I've won the wrestling match with my sister. It's really interesting that a couple of chapters later, Jacob is the one who wrestles with God, and he secures a blessing from God by wrestling with him. And we take that passage and we encourage us as Christians to wrestle with God in prayer and to spend time saying, God, you're the one who opens and closes wombs. Would you give me what I want? Um, And yet Rachel goes the other route and she competes with other human beings. And so there's an interesting contrast here about how we should respond to hardships. Do we pray and seek God for a blessing or do we wrestle and get competitive with other human beings? There are places where it's okay to be competitive. On the football pitch, um, playing board games, it's okay to be competitive. And um, I assure you, me and Rachel are the most competitive people in the room. Uh, Or I'm the most competitive person in the room, I think it's fair to say. But life is not one of those places where it's okay to be competitive. If you're going through life and you're constantly comparing yourself to other people, trying to beat them, wanting to see them squashed down so that you can rise up, then that is not how a Christian, how a follower of Jesus Christ should do life. You know, Jesus was the opposite, wasn't he? He was the servant of all. He built others up. He, he went to the cross. He was brought low in order to raise others up. And so competitiveness is, is good on the football pitch, but not in life. I wonder whether God is convicting you of envy in your heart this morning through Rachel's poor example. And out of Rachel's envious response, this whole family descends into mess and madness. In verse 9, 
Leah, thinking that she can no longer bear children, gets her servant Zilpah. And, and Jacob sleeps with Zilpah. And Gad is born, meaning good fortune. And Asher is born, meaning happy. And I kind of read that and think it's ironic. This doesn't look like favour to me. This doesn't look like happiness to me. This looks like a complete mess of a family. It's competitive. It's bitter. It's envy. It's, it's, it, there's a lack of love. It's interesting that in those two names, Leah, who was so good at praising God in chapter 29, now doesn't mention God when she names Gad and Asher. In verses 14 to 18, sex with Jacob is not seen as part of a loving marriage, but a commodity to be bought and bargained for. Leah buys night with Jacob through the mandrakes that Reuben has collected and they sleep together, and Leah does conceive again. She thought that she was unable to conceive, but she does, and Zebulun is born. Uh, Sorry, Issachar is born first, and then Zebulun is born. And in verse 20, Leah, I think, has given up on love. And she says, if only Jacob would honour me at least. I won't have love, but I'll have honour in this marriage. And so that's why, um, yeah, Zebulun is called what he's called. Dinah, a daughter, is born. And you can see that, uh, maybe you can see the linguistic um, um, similarities between the name Dan and the name Dinah, because Dinah also means judge. And so, although the passage doesn't mention the meaning of Dinah's name, it's almost as if Leah's gone, well, you called him Dan, well, I'm going to call my daughter Dinah, because God has judged and I've won now, because I've had even more children than you. It's a real mess, isn't it? It's a real mess. Then in verse 22, God remembers Rachel. He listens to her. And just as he cared for Leah at the start of the passage, he cares for Rachel and grants her a son. And Joseph is born. And she says, God has taken away my approach. Rachel's been living with a sense of disappointment and a shame. And and suddenly God does something for her and, and it just lifts that just a little bit. It's still a messy family situation. And yet God once again shows that he cares for us. And so I say again, God cares for you. And thus we come to the end of the passage, and for the moment anyway, because Benjamin's born a few years later, no more children are born. This family is a complete mess, I think you'll agree. There's a lack of love, there's envy, there's competitiveness, there's an eagerness to claim God's judgment in in their favour, there's a giving of servants to Jacob, it's just a complete and utter mess. And so the question remains, why preach on this passage this morning? And the answer is found in the book of Ruth, in Ruth 4, verse 11, which should uh, appear on the next slide. I'm going to turn there and read to you from the book of Ruth. So I don't know whether you know the book of Ruth, but at the end of the book, Ruth marries a man called Boaz, who's a good man. And they have the wedding ceremony. And in Ruth 4, verse 11, this is what the people at the wedding ceremony say. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Sorry, what? 
What are these people at the wedding festival talking about? That was the biggest mess of family life that I've ever seen. Can you imagine if we, we had... Maybe, I look forward to our first wedding as a church, but can you imagine at the wedding ceremony, we all go, oh yes, we want your family life just to be like Genesis 29 and Genesis chapter 30. May you be like Leah and Rachel. And the bride and the groom would look at us and go, what are you talking about? This is, this is the worst example, surely, of what family life can be like. This is, this is, why on earth would you say that? Well, let me finish reading the verse. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Why do they say, may Ruth be like Rachel and Leah? Because through Genesis 29... And Genesis chapter 30, and the mess and the competitiveness and the envy and the sin, the 12 tribes of Israel were born. And so the nation of Israel was coming into fruition and being built up. And these sons who were born in this passage would become great tribe leaders and these tribes would grow big and powerful until under David, King David and King Solomon, Israel was a, was a rich nation with many people in it. And, we, and the Jewish people still cling to their heritage and, and know their, their ancestry and what tribes they're from. Such, such is the, their view of history and family life. And so out of the mess, of Genesis 29 and Genesis chapter 30, God builds a nation. It's almost as if in the mess of Genesis 29 and Genesis 30, God was saying, I'm using this. I'm working in this. I'm doing something great in this family. I'm using what looks like a complete mess and I'm building a nation. I want to encourage you this morning from Ruth and from Genesis 29 and Genesis 30 that God can take what seems to be the biggest amount of chaos and the biggest amount of mess and difficult, horrible, dirty situations and do a great and magnificent work. You know, I often think like this. My life is, is messy a lot of the time. How could God possibly use me? I'm a sinner. I make stupid decisions. Fortunately, my family life's not quite as messy as what's going on in Genesis 29 and 30. But I, I make all sorts of mistakes. My life is a mess. I'm a mess. How can God do anything with me? And then I remember this story in Genesis. And I think that if God can use what happens in Genesis to build a nation... He's that great, he's that mighty, he's that wise, he's that awesome that he can do something so great in that. Well, then maybe he can use me as well to build his kingdom. And so I want each of you to be encouraged this morning. I want you to be encouraged as an individual. However much you mess up, God can still use you to build something magnificent. In fact, it brings God more glory to use people who are big messes 
to build something magnificent than it does. If God took all the strong, clever people and built upon them, then that would bring him some glory. But if God took the fools and the weak and the messy people and did something magnificent with them, that would bring him such glory. And I consider myself in that category, a weak fool who God is using to do something. And I hope that you feel like you're in that category as well. God can do something magnificent with you individually, however much mess is in your life. I want you to be encouraged as a family as well. You know, family life can sometimes be chaotic. Again, I really hope it's not like the Jacob, Rachel and Leah marriage, but but family life is sometimes chaotic. And I want you to believe that God can do something great in your family through the mess, through the chaos, because God is powerful and God is mighty. And finally, and, and this is the reason I'm preaching this sermon right now, I want you to be encouraged through this COVID-19 situation that we are living through right now. It is messy. The whole world is a mess. The government of this country don't really know what they're doing. I can tell you church leaders are making things up as they go along. They don't know what they're doing either because this never happened before. So how, how do you lead a nation in this time? How do you lead a church during this time? It's messy. It's difficult. People are making poor decisions and wrong decisions and, and making mistakes. Do you know who does know what he's doing? Our Father in heaven, God Almighty. I had coffee with Jeff on Friday and he said, what do you think God's doing in this situation? I was like, oh, great, tough question. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate that one. Um, You know what? I'm not 100% sure what God is doing, but I'm trusting him that he is using the situation for his glory. Cop-out answer from faster there, but that is is where I've come down on. I'm not sure what God is doing, but I know he's going to do something magnificent. And my hope, my hope is that with sermons and the gospel going forth online and people in in difficult situations and feeling hopeless, there might be many people who cry out to Jesus Christ for the first time and trust in him and enter into the kingdom of God. That's my hope that there would be. Um, When this is kind of over, there might be a great influx of new people into the church. That's, That's kind of my hope, but I'm not sure that's what God's doing. In fact, if, if I were to give my, this is, not, this is not prophetic, this is not of the spirit, this is just Duncan talking about what I think is going to happen. I think actually what God's doing is refining the church. I think he's teaching us Christians to rely wholly on him, even when all other things are taken away. That's what I think God's doing, because the church that remains, the church that keeps faithful, the church that keeps fighting during this season, they're going to be people who who know what it is to suffer, who know what it is to struggle, and yet still trust in God. And that's kind of my own personal story during this time. I'm praying prayers like, God, what are you doing? What am I supposed to do right now? And at the end of my prayer, I'm just coming to this place where I'm going, well, God, I just trust you. I just trust you. Would you guide me? Would you help me? I know you're doing something great, and I love you, and so I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray and be in your presence when I can't go out and meet, you know, people and share the gospel with them. I'm just going to pray for them. God can move in their life even while they're social distancing and isolating at home. And so I want to encourage us, church. Let this be a moment where our faith grows. God can do magnificent, great, mighty deeds in the midst of chaos and mess like he did in Genesis 29 and Genesis 30. And I don't have many ways of applying this, but I just want to say that faith works itself out in prayer. Faith works itself out in prayer. If you trust in God, 
you will be a great prayer. The people without faith, they don't pray. They don't trust God. They, they, they go, what can I do? How can I solve the problem? And actually then they start becoming envious. They look at other people. They look at what's going on. They look on Facebook and they go, wow, that person seems to be doing really well. I become envious of that person. And I'm not full of faith. I'm not relying on God in any way. I want to fix it. And actually my life's worse than that person's. It's really bad, terribly going wrong. Envy comes from a lack of faith. But those people who have faith in God pray. So I've asked you what your worship life is like at the moment. What's your prayer life like? Are you devoting time and saying, God, I feel helpless. God, I feel anxious. God, I I feel like I can't do anything for you right now. God, shall I even go to church this Sunday or should I stay home? All these big questions and decisions and struggles. Let's come to God in faith and prayer and cry out to him and believe in him. Have faith in him. Trust in him for doing a mighty work. You know, start praying those big prayers. Lord, I haven't spoken to that friend the whole time. I've maybe texted them a couple of times. But Lord, would you bring them to faith in Jesus Christ? I just want to pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, be upon that person right now. Or, or Lord, I, I was part of this work, this this charity work, or, or, or this community project, and that's just died a complete death because we can't meet anymore. Lord, would you, would you do something in that? Would you help us build relationships digitally or whatever? We just need to trust and, and have faith in God and pray to him. The Lord sees your affliction. The Lord hears you when you cry. He cares for you. He is mighty to answer our prayers and he is mighty to do something great and glorious even during this time, even during this age, even during this season of COVID-19. Let us have faith in him. Let us never doubt in his power and let us pray. And so let's pray now together. Lord, we recognise that Genesis 29 and Genesis 30 is kind of a messy passage to read. And Lord, I just want to pray for the kind of personal things in that passage first. Lord, I do pray for anyone who feels unloved right now, Lord God. And I pray that they would know that you see and hear them in this circumstance. Lord, would you pour your love into their hearts that they might know more deeply than ever before how much you love them. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross, that ultimate statement of how much you love us, that you would die for us. And I pray that each and every person in this room, each and every person watching online would know that great steadfast love of God that you have for us. Lord, I want to pray... Um, If there are couples who are struggling, want children and are unable to have them or struggling through that issue, Lord God, thank you that you are the one who is king. You are the one who is sovereign. I pray you would open wombs and bless bless, um, couples with children, Lord God. Or if not, you would lead them in in a a a better path, a better way, Lord. Thank you that you are so wise. We think we know what's best for us, and yet you you are more wise than us, and you lead us in the right way to go. And, and so, Lord, I pray for those couples that they would just trust you in prayer, cry out to you, you would hear and answer their prayers and lead them in the best path for them, Lord God. And finally, Lord, we want to pray into this hopefully encouraging message that we've heard, Lord, 
that you can use any and every situation, even the messiness of that family life, and do something magnificent. The nation of Israel, born in in a marriage that was loveless and and a marriage that was barren. Lord, it's amazing to think that you did such a great work in Genesis 29 and 31, even though the people in the story were making terrible decisions. And Lord, right now, right now, we... We are in a weird situation, a situation that has lasted a long time now, since March. And Lord, we're eager for it to end because it's difficult and there are all kinds of trials and tribulations that come with COVID-19. And so we do pray, Lord, that you would bring it to a swift end. But we also confess this morning that you are able to do great and magnificent deeds, even in the mess. And so we pray you would. I pray, Lord, that you would grow the church. There would be people crying out to you and putting their faith in Jesus Christ in this town and the surrounding towns and the surrounding region and across our nation. And that when the church, well, we're already meeting together again and we thank you so much for that God but when the the universal church, all the churches start gathering again, there will be new people in our midst who have confessed faith in Jesus Christ during this time. Do a great and mighty evangelistic work we pray Lord but Lord we also pray you would refine the church, teach us to have greater faith and greater trust in you so that as we start to live the the faith filled life right now Lord God we would be really we would be faithful disciples. We would be trusting you. We would be praying for you. Lord, make us more prayerful. And Lord, I just ask that you would do a great and mighty, magnificent work in this church and in the church for your glory. That years from now, we'd look back and say, wow, look at what God was doing. We did not see it. We did not know it at the time. But now we truly know God is mighty. God is glorious. God is loving. God is kind. And so, Lord, in some ways, I thank you for this situation. Thank you for what you're doing in the church. And would you just reveal to us, teach us, show us, lead us, that we might praise you and pray to you, our glorious, magnificent, mighty God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.